The following is a presentation of Renfrew Baptist Church, a community of faith that exists to create obedient followers of Jesus Christ who love God and love people. There's a lot in that passage. Um, Peter gets into creating this. He's got this list. He's got a negative list of like, guys, we have got to walk away from that. And then he gets into that list of these are the behaviors. These are the things that we should be up to. Um, so there's a lot that could be said. Um, but where I think that I'm going to land and, and hang out at is in um, verse 7 and 8. That's where we're going to spend most of our time. We'll go back, kind of, we'll, we'll look before the verse as, and as well as after. Because it's really important. You don't want to just take a verse out of context, right? That's a kind of a little tip for, for Bible reading is you don't just take a passage and read it for its own. You want to be able to see it fit into the larger picture about what's being said in Scripture. Um, also, you want to take into account who's the author? Uh, who was it written for? When was it written? What are all of the factors that go into uh, what made this be what it is? When you do that, you have a better and more keen awareness of what God is saying to all of God's people, um, and not just kind of when we pull it out and say, this is my verse. Sometimes God speaks to us in that way, but usually what what is important for us to do is recognize that Scripture has to be taken into context. So that's going to be the main area that we're going to hang out in and spend some time in. So in the past couple of weeks, we've seen through 1 Peter that there's a general theme. Um, There's the theme of the suffering of his people. So he's, Peter's observing that there's a community that's being persecuted and they're suffering, and he's urging them and calling them to live with this while being persecuted, but live with the hope that they have in their salvation and in the salvation that's to come. And because of that, there's certain things that you want to do. You want to uh, submit to leadership. You want to submit to one another. You want to honor each other. You want to behave in certain ways because we're, we're in that season of life where we're being persecuted, but we have victory coming. Um, and so those, those are some general themes uh, that, that bring us to this passage that I want to spend some time with. So, verse 7, the end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Basically, Peter here is saying, wake up, snap out of it, like come out of your stupor, come out of your rat race and the busyness or the chaos of your life, be sober-minded. Be clear-minded. Open your eyes to what's going on around us because the end is close. Now, it's not necessarily tomorrow, but we need to live with eternity in mind. And so he's asking people, wake up, snap out of it. Other translations say, be self-controlled and sober-minded. If we actually look in the passage, uh, in the whole chapter, and in the whole book, we have a couple of other spots where he uses this kind of language of wake up, um, be alert, be aware of what's going on. Um, The first time that he mentions this, um, this part of like being alert uh, is in 1 Peter 1.13. And it says this, therefore, with minds that are alert 
and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So he has that part where he mentions it there. Um, and then he also mentions it again in 1 Peter 5, um, 1 Peter 5, 8, where it says, uh, Be alert and sober mind. Uh, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. And then we have at our passage, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other. Um, so that's, he has this passion, it seems. Why, why would Peter be so focused? Kind of, he has these moments throughout where he's reminding the audience, he's reminding those that are listening, wake up, you've got you've to like come out of your slumber, or you've got to come out of the, the, the frenzy of your life and see what's actually happening. Um, I was in Australia for, for a time, um, just a couple of weeks ago. And then after Australia, I went to Hawaii. And I have a special announcement I'd like to make. I survived the 2018 ballistic missile threat of Hawaii. Yes, I was there when that all happened. Um, and let me, I'll tell you a little bit of, I'll tell you the story. Okay, so how many of you don't know what I'm referring to? Um, do most, have, most of you are aware? Um, so what happened was, um, uh, it was at 8.07 in the morning, a text message goes out. Um, oh, I think I wrote it down here. Um, a text message goes out saying, ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii, seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill, in all capital letters, all right? 8.07 in the morning, it's Saturday. On Friday, the day before, is when I had arrived. I had arrived really early. It was like a red-eye flight. I was super exhausted, so I have a long Friday. And then so Saturday morning, this is the message that goes out. People are worried. People are like calling home because like it said, this is not a drill. Like you, you have to take their word for it. So people are really getting scared, to be honest. It's, it's funny now. It wasn't funny then. Um, because where do you go? What do you do? What Seek immediate shelter. It's a ballistic missile. Like, let's just call it a day and be done with it. But in that moment, a lot of people, um, the, the Sunday after, I actually talked to some people, a lot of them were like, it woke them up. All of a sudden, they're like, whoa, what matters most in my life? Like, what was I planning to do? Was I trying to, like, organize my bookshelf or was I trying to reach out and talk to a friend or to loved ones, to family? Was I having a conversation with God that I haven't had in a long time? Um, so all of this is going on. Um, and then at around half an hour after that, enough word has started to spread through social media first, actually, and Twitter, and then other forms that this was a mistake, that it didn't happen. And at around... 9.30 that morning is when I woke up. <laughs> so, I completely missed 
the ballistic missile threat. I, I, was le- I, I was staying at the YWAM base there, and I did hear some people like through like the window talking about some situation. I assumed it was a local problem because my phone was off. I was exhausted from the day before, and I find out that this had happened through a post that my friend had made on Instagram. I'm reading, and I'm like, what? What happened here? <laughs> I completely missed it. I didn't even know it had happened. I was blissfully unaware because of jet lag and sleeping in. And, but the rest of uh, Honolulu and Oahu area where I was at, it was a traumatizing morning. It was actually really scary for them. Um, because for so long, they weren't really living with the end in mind. They weren't really considering... Um, what mattered most because they were just caught up in their lives. They're just busy doing everything or busy running from everything. And then all of a sudden, in one simple text message, they're like, oh, wow, what's going on? What matters most? Like, if you had gotten that text, like, what would be the first thing that you would do? I don't, I don't, I don't know because I, I, I was asleep. I wish I could have told you what I would have done with it. What I probably would have done other than trying to find out if this was actually a real thing, is I would have messaged my family. I would have had a conversation with my God. I would have, I would have after all of this, I would have thought, wow, life is, life is precious, and we need, to take it, we need to take it seriously. Now, we don't need to be worried about it. We're not called to live our lives with daily worry that this is the last day. That's not what Paul is getting at about being sober-minded and alert because the end is at hand. He's saying, quit with the distractions, quit with the race, quit with the, the numbing or the hiding because we have a life to live right now that is precious and good and it's a gift from God. Let's start doing that. Let's start living with the hope that we have because of who Christ is. Let's start living with, the, with focus and diligence um, because of who uh, our God is. So yeah, what would you do if you got that text? That's a good question to kind of consider. Um, and what would awaken within you? What would all of a sudden come to life? Um, because I do think we need to sober up in this life. Um, the life of faith, the life of love, um, the life of hope and joy, it depends on us actually being present and available in the here and now. That's where we need to live. That's where we need to be. We need to be present in the moment, and we need to wake up. The problem is is that when life gets hard, um, and life gets unfair, and a lot of the time, life in reality is not very pleasant. Let's just be honest. A lot of times, life is hard and not pleasant. So what do we do? We, We stay numb or we, we disconnect, um, and we, we kind of get out of touch with the here and now and the things that God has for us and right in front of us. So here's a hard question that I ask myself, and I'm asking you guys as well, is what numbs or distracts you? Because we kind of can live kind of in two different worlds. I really appreciate what you mentioned earlier today about God reminding you about breath and that you actually have a life to live and you don't have to live in panic. So there's that kind of area over here. Some of us, by personality, 
the, the driven A types are the list, the list, the things keep going, loud noise, just, you know, there's like that almost panic and we live in that space. And then there's kind of the other personalities that it's like retreat, 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 I'll video game for 20 hours, I will Netflix it, I will like hide over here in the corner because life is just too much, I'm just going to get all the way over here, right? But God is calling us to be aware um, of both of those extremes and to put ourselves fully present and fully available to him. So is it work? Is it things like getting likes on social media, people, projects, Netflix, movie, sex and lust, activities, drugs, money, power, control, the list goes on and on. And Paul mentions quite a few of those lists that the world was already wrapped up in. Um, We read in 1 Peter 4, kind of 1 to 6, that, that he's listing out, there's a lot of things that this world just throws their bodies into. And they just get caught up in it, and it, it's what they go after. But we, as Christians, are not to live that way. We are, we are to wake up to the reality that that is not the good life, and that we have another life that God is calling us to live. Now, when I read First Peter, I can't help but think of the person behind the writing, the author himself, and the life that he lived. Um, he, does, he isn't just writing because God said, this is exactly what you need to say. He is writing out of the experiences and the encounters that he had with Jesus. And when I read this passage, I can see his story just covered in it. And I want to spend a little bit of time there because I think that will help us open up this passage and appreciate it that much more. Peter was a man after God. He was passionate. He was called the rock. Um, It was on him that Jesus turned to him and said, that's right, Peter, and on you, I'm going to build the church. He was this guy that he would would be first up at the gate, like if someone was going to like, who wants to volunteer to come do this? And he'd be like, here I am, let's go do this. I'm going to be here for you. And he was that kind of guy. Um, And he lived that way. He lived with that kind of passion. And then one day... Jesus turns to him and says, Peter, by the way, you know, you're kind of talking with a lot of confidence here, but you're going to deny me three times. You're, you're going to tell people that you don't even know me. And Peter's like, I will never, never, ever, I will, I will go the distance with you, Jesus. And he's like, just, just be warned. The enemy wants to come after you. He's prowling like a lion, seeking to devour. So be alert and be sober. Now, Jesus didn't say those exact words, but you can hear that in the story of Matthew um, and and the the story of Luke, that he's calling Peter, you know what, just be aware. And so what happens is, um, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he went out into the garden, right? He goes and he brings his best friends, and Peter's one of them. And he turns to the, his friends and says, all right, stay watch. Have, like, stay up. Let's pray. Um, so they go sit over there. Jesus goes over here. He prays. He's in anguish. It's difficult. It's a strain for him. And he comes back. And what's Peter doing? Most of us know the story. He's asleep. The one time that Jesus asks 
his friends, stay here and keep watch with me. What does he do? He doesn't pray. He isn't alert. He's asleep on the job. And then when the chaos comes, what's the first thing that Peter does? Now, most traditions agree that it was Peter, in fact, that took the sword and cut the ear off the guy. So the panic comes, everything's all crazy, and Peter goes and he strikes the guy with the sword and cuts his ear off. So from, from being in a stupor and not alert, not praying, he responds with his fist. Jesus turns to him and says, this is not the life. This is not the way of my kingdom. Puts the guy's ear back on and then gets taken away. And then what does Peter do? He watches from a distance. He follows. And then three people at three different occasions ask him, hey, you're, you're one of the Galileans that hangs out with Jesus. And he denies him. He says, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. And then at the end of all of that, Peter weeps bitterly when the cock crows and he becomes awake to his behavior and awake to this whole series of like these whole 12, this whole 12 hour event kind of thing about what just happened. He comes out of his stupor, out of whatever just happened and he weeps bitterly and he goes off. So now when I read Peter writing a letter years later after being filled with the Holy Spirit, after um, serving, he says this, the end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. I can't help but see that story right there in, in him preaching that. He's preaching out of the experiences he had with his encounter with Jesus. Jesus turned and said, listen, the enemy wants you. Now is not the time to numb what's going on in your life and hide. Now is not the time to be so panicked about work that you can't even hear the voice of me or the voice of your family. Now is not the time. Be alert. Sober up. We can't keep hiding. So yeah, we have this story that overlaps it. Um, and it reminds me that we all have this tendency to drift towards a life of distraction and a life of numbness or a life of busyness. And in many ways, we just let our bodies act out however they do, however the world expects us to act. But we are called to live like Christ. We are called into a life with Christ. We are called to be different kinds of people, to slowly come awake to the truth of who we are and who he is. And when we awake to the mission and the kingdom of God, then we can really pray. We know what's going on. We can see the, the need. When we are awake to the glory of God, when we are awake to our true identity, that we are loved people, we are God's children, and we are, when we are awake to the needs of the world, that's when the church is really able to be mobilized to do something and to respond to the needs a life like that, a life awake to God, is a life that can be enjoyed, but it's also a life that can be endured when hardship and trials come. And that's what he's reminding the, the early, um, the people that were first hearing this. They were going through a lot of trials, and he was saying, 
We've got to live this way because then you can endure the hardships. Like, so leaving the fog um, and the frenzy, it, it hurts because it actually, when you walk away from that stuff, everything else kind of comes to the surface. Um, the things in our lives, the challenges that we face, it all comes forward. Um, seeing the truth of our lives and the world around us isn't easy. No one said it was easy. No one, it was said, no one says it's, hard, it's easy to be honest with ourselves about the state of our own hearts and what we think about, what we care about, what we spend our time doing. But, but our lives is not meant to be lived hiding and running or being caught up in, in the worries of this world, but to rest in Christ and to be alive in him. So that whenever I hear a talk like this, personally, I'm always left with, well, like, well, how? Okay, yeah, let's wake up. Let's snap out of it. Let's change our behaviors. But like, how do I even do that? How do I even go about making the change necessary um, for me to live the life that I know I'm called to live? And I think here we can go to the next passage, the very next verse, but then also we can look at the story of Peter as well, and we can see the connection as well. So obviously, the first thing that Peter does was that he wept bitterly. He became aware of what was really going on in his life and in his heart. And he wept. But where the real change comes, the real good news, and this is the good news for us today, um, is it came with another redemptive encounter with Jesus. So in this verse, it says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. In the Gospel of John, there's this beautiful scene. Um, It's one of my favorite scenes. Um, Jesus and Peter are back at the water's edge. So this is after uh, Jesus has died and he's been raised again, and he's been visiting the disciples. And then there's this moment where they are back up in Galilee. They decide to go fishing. The fishermen are like, well, we know how to fish. That's where it all started. Let's go do some fishing. What else do we do? We're not sure. So they go fishing. Jesus performs another miracle, almost identical to the miracle where everything started for Peter. And then they get to the shore, and they're having a meal. And I can just picture Peter not really sure what to say to Jesus. There's this, like, lump in his throat. He is so aware of what he's done in this past season, about his denial, about hiding and not, and basically not being the rock, of being almost the exact opposite. And so they're sitting there. He's, Jesus is cooking fish. There's like banter, and then the conversation goes quiet. And there's just like that moment. And then Jesus looks over at Peter and says, hey, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, yeah, yeah, I do. Hey, Peter, do you, do you love me? Yes. Master, you know that I love you. Well, feed my sheep. And then again, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's downcast. And he says, Master, you know that I love you. Well, go feed my sheep. 
Now, we might see that as, like, accusation, or someone might read it and be like, whoa, Jesus, that was really harsh. But it wasn't. This was the moment where Peter was reinstated. This is the moment he was brought back out of his self-pity, out of his self-loathing, out of his brokenness, and, P- and Jesus steps right into that space and lifts him up, and in that conversation is demonstrating profound love. Because what he's saying is, oh, you didn't, he's not saying you screwed up now, you know what, it's a waste, just forget about it, just be a fisherman, I was wrong, you're not the rock. No, he's not saying anything like that. He's saying, okay, go and feed my sheep. I'm, I'm sending you back on the mission I started you with. Nothing has changed. You're still Peter, you're still the rock. Yes, maybe you slept like a rock that one night and that wasn't good, but you're still the rock. And that's the God that we serve. Is the God that right from where it started with us, from our very first breath, to our breath now, to our breath tomorrow, he looks at you and he says, yep, you're still on mission. I still created you the same. I still love you the same. Nothing has changed. Let's get on with the project of loving this world and changing this world in the name of my Father. Don't let all this other stuff, don't let everything that you've been beating yourself up with stop you. You're still you. You've always been you. I've always loved you. You're still my disciple. And I can see that in, inside of this passage, inside of Peter's letters to his people, where he's crying out, guys, there's this time when I, I experienced the love of my Savior so much that it built me back up, it covered my sin, and I was able to get on with the life, the, the, the awake life, the life awake to God's mission. Do the same. Love one another deeply. Let the love of the Father, let the love of Jesus hit you in the heart so deeply that you're freed to continue to be you, that you're freed to wake up and live this good life that God has for us. You don't have to live crippled. We don't have to live in fear. And so how, what's our next step? What do we do? We know that we're called to live a different life than the world. We know that we're called to be awake and to be sober. But how do we, and how do we do it? Our first thing really is to be genuinely open to the love of Jesus. To let him love you to let him reinstate you, to let him speak his words of affirmation into your life. Because we're not going to get through life by gritting our teeth and clenching our fists and making it a fight. It's not about that. It's God's fight and he's won. He's just asking us to let go and to accept his love, to accept his forgiveness, to accept that he has a call on your life and that it's a good one. And that you don't have to be afraid of it because he's going to be with you through it all. Now, tragically, Peter's life doesn't go, it doesn't end perfect. He ends up being um, executed under Nero. It's, it's not a good end to his life. Now, Peter might disagree with me on that. He might say it's the exact end that I wanted because I get to participate in the same kind of suffering that my Savior did. So it doesn't mean this life is going to be perfect for us, but it means we can have hope because of the great love of the Father. Uh, Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we 
we ask that you help us to become alert and sober-minded. Lord, we are so prone to distractions. We're so prone to hiding or running from, uh, from our own hearts. And so, Lord, in this moment, I just ask that you would speak to each and every one of us, that you would speak your words of love. Lord, you have our photo pinned to the corkboard in your office. And every morning, you look at us and you smile and you say, I made that and I love it. Lord, thank you for loving me. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't fight this fight without your love. None of us could. And so, Lord, I ask that you help us to open our hands and open our lives to you, that we can accept your joy, we can accept your peace and your forgiveness, just like Peter was able to do. So, Lord, as we, as we sing this final song, I just pray that we would be able to sing it um, as a response to you and as a first step towards living a life that's awake to you. Amen. This has been a presentation of Renfrew Baptist Church, a community of faith that exists to create obedient followers of Jesus Christ who love God and love people.